Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Monday, July 12th. I'm Maite Interiano. Here are today's headlines. Is a COVID-19 booster shot around the corner? Pfizer says it plans to meet with top U.S. health officials today about requiring a third dose of its COVID-19 vaccine. As FDA and CDC officials say, it's not necessary at this time. Plus in Cuba, thousands took to the streets in the largest demonstrations in decades to protest food shortages and high prices as the coronavirus continues taking a heavy toll on the island. And Richard Branson becomes the first billionaire to blast into orbit in his own spaceship, beating Amazon's Jeff Bezos by just days. This and much more today on U News. We begin with the coronavirus emergency. The U.S. seeing an up- uptick in cases as the Delta variant spreads primarily through areas with low vaccination rates. Half of the states in the country now reporting an increase in new cases. This, as Pfizer argues, a booster may be needed sooner than expected. Lorraine Cassidy has the latest. The Biden administration missing its goal of vaccinating 70% of adults in the U.S. by the 4th of July. There are places in the world, many places, where the vaccination availability is practically nil. Those people would do anything to get a vaccine. We in the United States have enough vaccinations to give to everybody in the country, and they're life-saving. Right now, 67.6% of adults have gotten at least one shot, and more than 159 million Americans are fully vaccinated. But COVID-19 still a threat. After weeks of declining cases nationwide, at least half the states in the country are now reporting an increase in new cases. 17 states are seeing more hospitalizations, and in six of those states, the number of people dying every day is going up. Dr. Anthony Fauci saying 99% of all COVID-related deaths in June were among unvaccinated people. So I'm concerned as this variant becomes more dominant, those areas, those select areas of the country that have a very low level of vaccination, like 30% or so, you're going to start seeing mini surges that are localized to certain regions. And as I said, you don't want to see two separate Americas, one that's vaccinated and protected, and yet another that's unvaccinated and very much at risk. As the Delta variant spreads across the country, the big question now is will a booster be necessary? Health officials and Big Pharma disagreeing on the urgency. Pfizer meeting today with top U.S. health officials to discuss potential federal authorization for a third dose of its vaccine, suggesting that booster shots will offer optimal protection within 12 months after a second dose. But health officials convinced no booster should be needed for those fully vaccinated. That doesn't mean we stop there. They continue. I mean, there are studies being done now, ongoing as we speak, about looking at the feasibility about if and when we should be boosting people. Meanwhile, the CDC on Friday updating its guidance, saying in-person school should be a priority this fall, suggesting that schools remove some protocols based on local conditions, eliminating prevention strategies one at a time in order to closely monitor any outbreaks. 
And the U.S. averaged in the past week about 19,500 new cases. And although that number is still quite significantly low, it still represents a 47% increase from the prior week. Meanwhile, the CDC is also reporting that the daily pace of people that become fully vaccinated um, due to the vaccine, COVID-19 vaccine, is down by 84% since mid-April. Back to you, Mike. Thank you very much, Lorraine. Let's go to Dr. Payad Patel, an infectious disease physician at the University of Michigan. We welcome you to UNews, and let's talk about this Pfizer booster shot. What's, the, what's your take on this, and how big of a challenge would it be to get millions of people to take another shot? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, right now it's a moving calculation. And if we can get enough people the first shot, the first vaccination, we can maybe avoid having to need a booster altogether. I think it's fair that Pfizer is already looking into it if it ends up being needed. But I think we really got to work on the first part of that equation, and that is getting as many people vaccinated as possible. If we do that, we will be able to decrease the transmission of the Delta variant that is kind of riling all of this up right now in the United States and in the United Kingdom and kind of across the world. Absolutely. Now that we've seen that traveling has been picking up, Dr. Patel, um, what other instructions should these people have to take if they decide to travel, whether it's domestic or overseas? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think for many people, half of the family is often vaccinated and kids vaccinated. So I think remembering some of those basic things that we've been talking about for months, if you're on a plane close to other people, you don't know if they've been vaccinated or not. If there's someone in your own family who hasn't been vaccinated, making sure that you're being very good about mask use in closed kind of cramped spaces when you're near other people where you're not sure about their status, maybe avoiding some of those cramped spaces. I will say if, if you're vaccinated, being outdoors is always a safe space for vaccinated un and unvaccinated people. As we learn more about the virus, we know that there's very little outdoor transmission. So I would encourage people to kind of be out and about this summer. Absolutely. And Dr. Patel, what about schools? Reopenings are right around the corner. How concerned should parents be about COVID, especially the variants in schools where many of those in attendance are not yet vaccinated? Yeah, this is the question on so many people's minds, especially as we have so many kids that are still unvaccinated. We have learned a lot in this last year, a little bit about how we can decrease transmission in schools. So I think that the first thing that you want to ask your school district is, you know, what are what is the school doing to decrease transmission? What is the physical distancing going to be like in the classroom? Can children wear a mask? If you want your child to wear a mask if they're unvaccinated, I think you should continue with that, despite kind of what the politics is about it. And doing those things that we know can help prevent transmission is going to really help kids get safe back into the classroom. Absolutely. And hopefully uh, get a great start to a school year. Dr. Patel, thank you so much for joining us from University of Michigan. Thank you for your time and for your insights always. Thank you. Now let's go to Cuba, where thousands took to the streets protesting food shortages and price hikes as the country reels from the coronavirus crisis. 
President Biden reacting this morning to the unrest. Carolina Saraza has the details. Cubans taken to the streets protesting food and medicine shortages. The largest demonstrations in nearly three decades in a country notorious for cracking down on dissent. An economic crisis that has hit the island nation hard, forcing people to wait hours in line for food and job opportunities. Cuba's president blames U.S. restrictions on exports, foreign funds and travel. Cubans across the U.S. voicing their support for the protesters, thousands shutting down streets in Miami on Sunday, many demanding American politicians intervene. I want to see the president to see something and to do something for Cuba now. We have to make sure that their message today and every day moving forward isn't lost and that the true nature of this barbaric regime is exposed. In April, Raul Castro stepped down as the leader, prompting increasing calls for change in the communist nation. Carolina Saraza, U News. President Joe Biden in a statement today said the United States supports the Cuban people and called their rare protest a clarion call for freedom and relief from the pandemic and generations of dictatorship. And in Haiti, police say they have now arrested a man who helped orchestrate President Moy's assassination. In a press conference Sunday, Haiti's national police director said Christian Emmanuel Sanon entered the country on a private plane in June. Police say the 63-year-old was in touch with a Florida-based Venezuelan security firm to recruit 26 Colombian mercenaries and two Haitian Americans who entered also in June. Upon raiding Sanan's house, police found 20 boxes of ammunition, unused shooting targets, two vehicles, and four Dominican Republic license plates. And staying on Haiti, the White House says a team is being sent to provide assistance in the investigation into the assassination of President Jovel Moïse. The delegation includes experts from the National Security Council, the State Department, Justice Department and Homeland Security. The Biden administration wants to find out who was responsible for the crime and hold them accountable as well as help stabilize the situation. A Pentagon spokesperson says they're reviewing a request to send hundreds of U.S. troops to Haiti. Meanwhile, in Capitol Hill, lawmakers are starting to return to Washington, D.C. for a summer sprint with some of the biggest priorities hanging into balance. The Senate is returning today after a two-week recess, and the House will return next week after a three-week break. Democrats have big, two big priorities heading into the crucial summer session, infrastructure and trying to find a path forward on voting rights after a bill stalled last month in the Senate. And President Joe Biden will host city leaders from around the country today to talk about reducing crime, shootings and killings are around the, around the nation. Joining the group is New York's likely next major Democrat, Eric Adams. Our Edwin Bithin has the details from Washington, D.C. Edwin? That's right, Mighty. This uh, White House meeting comes at a critical time when the nation faces fear for gun violence. Many thought that 2020 was the deadliest gun violence year, but so far 2021 is even worse. According to data published by the Washington Post in the first five months of the year, gunfire killed more than 8,100 people in the United States, an average of 54 lives lost per day. That's 14 more deaths per day than the average soldier in the same period 
of the previous six years. Today's meeting will be at the White House, and President Biden is welcoming Attorney General Mary Garland, local leaders, law enforcement, elected officials, and community violence intervention experts to discuss the current administration's strategy to reduce gun crime. Among those attending the meeting will be Eric Adams, New York City Democratic mayoral nominee. The retired NYPD captain and current Brooklyn Borough president is expected to call for better coordination between the city and the federal government to track the unlicensed firearms used to shootings across New York. Take a listen. Right on the ground, how do we deal with the intervention aspects of it? We're going to see the remake uh, of a anti-gun unit that's going to do precision policing, focusing on gangs and guns. We're going to have a coordinated effort uh, to ensure our gun suppression unit receives the resources they deserve. And then uh, we're going to be extremely uh, comfortable with going to our judges and stating we can't have people who uh, participate in gun violence and they're out the next day. That's unacceptable. We need to send a clear message that our streets are going to be safe. Just in the last 72 hours, 368 people died in the U.S. because of gun violence. There were 87 shootings alone in New York, and among them, the case of a 13-year-old who was gone down in the Bronx. According to the police, the shooting was gang-related. Chicago also had a bloody weekend, 42 shootings that resulted in 10 deaths, similar to a deadly 4th of July weekend where 104 were shot and 19 were killed. And in Utah... Three men are behind bars for the killing by gun of a seven-year-old who was sleeping at the time of the shooting. We are reporting live in Washington, D.C. Mighty, back to you. Thank you, Edwin Piti, reporting from Washington, D.C. The death toll from the Surfside condo collapse has risen to 94. Miami-Dade County Major Daniela Levine Cava said Monday morning. Four more bodies have been found since Sunday morning. Lavin Cava said that 83 of the victims have been identified, with 80 next of kin notified. Another 22 people remain potentially unaccounted for after the June 24th collapse of the Chaplin Towers South. The major noted that the recovery mission faced some brief interruptions overnight caused by lightning. And some good news out of Surfside Binks, the miracle cat who survived the condo collapse, was reunited with his family over the weekend. Ang Angela Gonzalez and her 16-year-old daughter, Devon, survived a fall from the ninth floor to the fifth floor in the collapse. They're both still hospital in Miami's Jackson Memorial, but were able to visit get a visit with Binks virtually through FaceTime. Angela's other daughter was able to pick him up from the animal shelter. It's not known how Binks survived the disaster, but was found near the site two weeks later. Sadly, a key, mem a key member of the family still remains among the missing. Angela's husband, Edgar Gonzalez. Texas Republicans advanced bills Sunday that would make voting harder in a state that already has some of the nation's toughest restrictions. Republicans made clear they intend to advance a new election bill this weekend, with the first major vote on the proposals expected this week. The bill will, would prohibit 24-hour polling places, ban drop boxes, and stop Drive-through voting, Texas, is among several states with GOP-controlled state houses where Republicans have rushed to enact strict voting laws in response to former President Donald Trump's false claims that the 2020 elections was, were stolen from him. 
A Texas man who waited hours to cast his ballot is now accused of voting illegally. Hervis Rogers was arrested last week, but is not is now out of a $100,000 bond. Rogers received media attention after standing in line for nearly seven hours to vote in last year's election. But the state attorney general now says Rogers was still on parole for a prior felony conviction at the time. The 62-year-old says he believed he was eligible to vote. The ACLU who is representing Rogers said the attorney general wants to, quote, create a narrative of widespread voter fraud. Human rights organizations are concerned about the increase of Mexican troops along the border with the United States and with Guatemala, along with an increase in human rights violations. Here is Andrew, Andrew Peña with the details. Every day since the Mexican government decided to militarize immigration surveillance, these scenes of the military patrolling territory near the border have grown more common. Mexico decided to send troops to its borders in 2019 after acknowledging the limited operational capacity of the country's National Migration Institute to manage the flow of migrants toward the United States from Central America. The National Guard, which as I mentioned, is made up of the military police, the naval police and the federal police, are supporting the National Institute of Migration. This militarization continues and has migrant rights advocates Concerned. There have been victims of abuse, torture, and robbery by both the military and municipal police. A new report in Mexico shows that the number of armed troops sent to the control migrant flows has increased by 275% since President Biden came to office. By June, some 27,000 Mexican Army, Navy, and National Guard troops have been sent to the border, compared to 7,000 in January when President Donald Trump's term ended, according to a report based on official data from the daily newspaper Reforma. In one year, things have gotten worse. The report also mentions an increase in incidents like the one that took place in Nuevo Laredo, where a series of criminal charges have been filed against members of the Navy. A Navy Special Forces operation arrived in Nuevo Laredo, and during that time they carried out raids, arbitrary detentions, and forced disappearances. This has made the journey of migrants through Mexico more dangerous, where they also face threats from organized crime groups. Mexico is hell for Central American migrants, sometimes worse than the United States. Reported by Francisco Cobos in Reynosa, Mexico. Andrew Peña, U News. More of U News after the short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. U News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. U News, your world, U News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. In Mexico, tourism and low vaccination rates are worrying experts who warn that it could be the perfect storm for a third coronavirus wave. 
Paulina Gomez explains health as Paulina Gomez explains health measures are being already being implemented to prevent the situation from getting out of control. COVID-19 cases are spiking in Mexico and at these public kiosks people are getting tested again to see if they've been infected. Things are relaxing and that's why there's an increase in cases. Mexico is going through a key pandemic moment, the third wave of contagion that experts say could get more complicated by the minute, with summer vacation here, low vaccination rates and the Delta variant that is already causing havoc in 20 Mexican states. There is more circulation of the virus, there's a higher probability of contracting variants. New cases have been registered in Mexico City, and in the last couple of days there have been more than 9,000 cases and a 30% increase in hospitalizations. Due to the Delta variant, the most affected have been people between 18 and 49 years old. We're scared of the third wave. We don't know if the strains that are starting up, the other strains, if the vaccine will resist these new strains. There won't be a new lockdown in Mexico City, so authorities are focusing on increasing vaccination rates. It is shown that being fully vaccinated decreases hospitalizations and acute illness, and that's where we're focused. Authorities foresee a July with new cases still increasing and expect the third wave to pick up in August, so in some beach resorts like La Paz in Baja California Sur and Mazatlán, Sinaloa, restrictions have been imposed. For tourists to enjoy two months of the tourist season, having a great time with their families in Mazatlán, Sinaloa. In the meantime, Quintana Roviches are full with vacationers who, during the pandemic, sometimes forget about health measures. Experts call people to continue being careful because to reach herd immunity, at least 70% of the population must be fully vaccinated. And here, only 15% have received a full doses. Paulina Gomez Bulshiner in Mexico City, U News. Thank you, Paulina. In Colombia, more than 400,000 doses of AstraZeneca's COVID-19 vaccine arrived on Sunday. This after the country signed a bilateral agreement with the pharmaceutical company. With this latest arrival, Colombia is close to reaching 30 million delivered doses from various labs. Meanwhile, Pope Francis will spend a few more days in the hospital following his July 4th intestinal surgery to optimize his recovery. The Vatican had originally said Francis could be released from Rome's Gemelli Polyclinic by the end of last week. In its latest update, the Vatican said he has completed his post-operative treatment but will remain hospitalized for a few more days. Now to the action-packed soccer weekend. Argentina won the 2021 Copa America final with a 0-1 victory over Brazil on Saturday night. Fans celebrated in Buenos Aires overnight taking over the streets. What a celebration. This is Argentina's 15th Copa America victory, tying Uruguay for most wins of all time. There were 5,500 spectators at the iconic Maracaná Stadium in Rio de Janeiro, the first time fans were able to attend matches during this tournament.
And the Italian capital erupted last night with people taking to the streets, waving flags and honking horns after their victory against England in the Euro 2020 final. As one of the European countries hardest hit by the coronavirus pandemic, Italians welcomed the good news. Meanwhile, Prince William issued a strong statement today saying he was sickened by the racist abuse aimed at black English soccer players after the team lost the big European soccer final to Italy on Sunday night. William's intervention came after black players endured a torrent of abuse on social media and were taunted with racist emojis and phrases after three black players missed key penalty kicks that decided the game in Italy's favor. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.